This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore and the Catholic Review. Encouraging a love of reading is one of the greatest gifts parents can give their children. On today's show, we're going to talk about ways parents can cultivate that gift and how they can select works that are best suited for their children. Our guest is Sherry Blomquist, a Catholic author and teacher who has just released a new book called Before Austin Comes Aesop, the children's great books and how to experience them. Sherry holds a degree in English education and the Bible and directs a writing program through her website, Once Upon a Pen. Here's our conversation with Sherry Blomquist. Sherry Blomquist, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thank you for having me. Before we talk about some of the themes of your book, I, I thought it might be good to get your take on why reading is so critical for children and, and for their parents. Could you talk about why it's important to start reading with your child at an early age? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I know that uh, reading with my children has made a huge impact on just um, drawing closer together um, as a parent and child. So in that sense, it's important, too. It's, it's an incredible bonding experience. Um, but it's also important, too, because as you read to children, um, they pick up um, uh, a lot about language that you may not even realize that you're communicating. Um, in fact, I learned to read by listening to audio stories and, and just following along in the books. And so uh, listen, hearing the written language, or yes, hearing the written language uh, and having that bonding experience with the parents um, can be uh, very powerful, uh, especially for, for the future um, reading, um, picking up reading skills um, later. Yeah, and it really becomes fun for the child too. Uh, my wife and I have five kids, and we read we read dozens of books each day to our children. And I remember with our old our oldest daughter, she was recognizing words at four, and she was fully reading by age five. And today, mm-hmm. she can spend she can spend the whole day in her room reading books, and it's really something that she wants to do. And then her younger siblings see her doing, it and they want to do it too. So oh, that's it really fantastic. does. It expands imagination too, because when when you hear the written language rather than seeing it happen on a screen, which I like movies and I like movies, you know, don't get me wrong, but when you hear it and you hear the stories, you develop pictures in your mind, and, and that expands the imagination, uh, and that's important too. I know that there are a lot of experts out there who say that you should read aloud to your kids, even well past the time that they're capable of reading themselves. Uh, do you, do you agree with that? Is that an important thing to, for parents to do? Oh, I think so. I mean, I don't, I'm no expert on um, child psychology or, or development, but um, that, that special bonding experience of reading together, um, you know, that's, that's something that goes beyond mere uh, necessity. Um, that's something that we can delight in and, and share um, as a, you know, again, as a bonding experience. Um, and I also think it's valuable to hear language uh, rather than just see it, because um, hearing language, we still pick up a lot about language and vocabulary and and, and um, 
things like that that help us to become better better speakers. Um, we hear cadences in um, and uh, when when parents ex- use expression and dramatization, um, those make an impact on our um, on our imaginations and our minds and our understanding of language. Uh, in, in just that, um, in my opinion, I'm, I'm no expert, but it seems to me that that makes a powerful impact as well. And, and it really becomes a back and forth, I think, between the parent and child. If the, the child has a question about something that comes up. Right. Yeah, you can discuss you can just... them. Yeah, it's it's a good um, foundation for, for learning how to discuss ideas and um, for learning how to make predictions and, and inferences and, you know, like, what do you think is going to happen next? You know, or why do you think he did this? I mean, that lays a good foundation for, for school where, where we are um, analyzing literature later, much later on in our education. But just talking about them together um, is, good, is good practice as well as fun. How does childhood reading impact a person later on in adulthood? Um, well, you know, I, I can only go into my own experiences and myself and my and my children, but I know um I was an early reader because of um of being, you know, given stories by by my parents and um I grew up in a very story rich environment where my mother just handed me books and I had all these audio tapes to listen to of fairy tales and um that impacted my ability to read, it impacted my vocabulary. Um I I developed um a good vocabulary and and because I liked old fashioned stories, some of my vocabulary became a little ridiculous because I would pick up you know, outdated language, but um, that just shows how powerful language can be. Um, and you know, when we when we pick that up at an early age, uh, I think that can just only help us as we um, as we grow older. Um, just for uh, language patterns, sentence structures, and all those things can help us actually become good writers, good communicators in ways that we don't even realize. Uh, you know, I teach writing, and you know, you know, my understanding. In teaching my writing students, I tell them, you know, the best teacher is lots of reading. Um, so uh, even though I believe in good writing instruction, uh, reading is very, very important. Um, so, And it just goes to expand the imagination as well, which is important throughout our lives. How can parents make time for reading for their kids? There, there's, there are a lot of parents who just kind of plop their kids in front of the TV and and mm-hmm. that can become a real temptation, but what I'm guilty of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What advice would you have for parents in that area? Oh, how can parents make time for reading? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, well, you know, as home, if if we're homeschooling, that that's inbuilt, and in, we can build that into our into our days in in a really special way, um, and we can do that for years on end. You know, as we instruct our children, we can grow with them as as we add more and more literature. But you know, making it a bedtime ritual, even if children are in school, is um, is also um, you know just you know, wonderful, uh, you know, just a wonderful tradition to have within the family. And I, I did that with my kids for years. Every night, you know, we'd have our story, get in the rocking chair, um, or when they're too big, you know, we'd sit on the bed and we'd, and we'd have a story. And, you know, I be, might be too tired, you know, I might not be able to read very long, but just having that time, um, you know, we just build it in. We build it in from the time they're very small, and we have that as a special family tradition um, that that can last for years. Um, you know, until they're just not ready. You know, ready to read on their own, and maybe don't want it anymore. Then they signal that. <laughs> right. And and how do you go about making it, it a habit? 
Um, well, like anything, we have to uh, be disciplined into getting, you know, to starting, um, and then we have to just be make that happen every night. But the beauty of it, you know, it's so easy to let go of habits uh, quickly, but the beauty of it is that children love reading aloud, and they will help us build that habit and then make it into a cherished family tradition. Um, so, yeah, I think it has to become a habit, and that will be and benefit everyone in the family for years to come, I think. Great. Well, our guest today is Sherry Blomquist, and she is the author of Before Austin Comes Aesop, the children's great books and how to experience them. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some of the themes of Sherry's book. I'm George Matisek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a minute. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. A complete rebuild and expansion of the living quarters for the Swiss Guard will not only improve life for guards and their families, it will also allow for future possibilities of recruiting women. Currently, applications to serve in the 515-year-old Corps are open only to Swiss male citizens who served in the Swiss Army and are Catholic, under 30 years of age and athletic, stand at least 5 foot 8 inches tall, and boast, quote, an unblemished reputation. But at least since the new millennium, the overriding obstacle that stood in the way of opening the door for women had been housing, not gender. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. The first time Catherine Libatori attended the Maryland Catholic Women's Conference three years ago, she remembers being struck by a sense of spiritual support among the participants. Quote, I could kneel in prayer and someone was already praying for me, said Liberatory, a parishioner at St. Joseph in Cockeysville. Women from across the Archdiocese of Baltimore and throughout Maryland will gather once again for this year's conference, set for October 2nd from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at St. Joseph Church in Fullerton. This year's theme is Holy and Beloved. Archbishop William E. Laurie will celebrate Mass during the conference. Attendees will have the opportunity of the Sacrament of Reconciliation at morning and lunchtime and to visit the Blessed Sacrament all day until Holy Hour that will conclude the event. The conference will feature keynote speakers Katie Prejean McGrady and Dominican Sister Mary Madeline Todd, Chair of the Philosophy Department at Mount DeSales Academy in Catonsville. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Our guest today is Sherry Blomquist. She's the author of Before Austin Comes Aesop, the children's great books and how to experience them. Sherry, your book is really constructed around a belief that before children are introduced to great classical works, that they should be grounded in literature that's more geared for children. Could you talk about that and and why spend a lot of time with children's literature or or literature that's been passed down orally from generation to generation before you even try to to tackle the the classical work? Well, um, first of all, we have to remember that the the great 
books of the Western canon, you know, like Shakespeare and, and uh, Chaucer and Milton, um, these authors also, you know, if they had any kind of formula education at all, they themselves grew up on these these ancient uh, classics that children enjoyed for centuries, you know, uh, Homer and Aesop's fables and uh, King Arthur and Robin Hood. Um, and so when we uh, when we go ahead and have our children uh, read those books and those uh, those tales as well, we are building on um, a foundation that uh, we can we can add the the later authors, the more modern authors, and then later the great books authors of the Western canon when they're old enough. So it's all about laying a, a really solid foundation of literature, um, and also because uh, a lot of these these older adult books and the older um, children's books, or I'm sorry, more modern children's books, they often draw from these older um, from these children's uh, classics such as King Arthur and Robin Hood and fairy tales and nursery rhymes, you're going to see a lot of references and allusions to them um, just in, in adult literature. And um, so it is, it is important to just lay that solid foundation for a later literary study. Uh, it also helps us to better um, gain a foundation in our um, Western civilization and, and just understanding who we are, where we've, where we are as a people, how, where we've come from. Just as you know, like studying history does that. We help, it helps us understand ourselves. So does understanding the art of a civilization, the literature, the the paintings, the sculptures, the music. Um, and so, understanding the classics. Um, helps us understand our, our civilization better as well, and it expands imagination. Um, and from there, we we can help our children become part of that great conversation of the ages. Um, that you know, the ideas that have built upon each other over over time, and that have uh, resulted in the modern books that we have today, for better or for worse. Um, and um, and and prepare us for the for the more modern ideas and for adult literature. Hmm. So. Why do you think there is sometimes a rush to get to the classics before allowing children to enjoy literature that's more geared toward them? Well, I think um, sometimes there's maybe an anxiety to make sure that we have covered uh, necessary ground before our children get into uh, upper, you know, get into college. And um, so we we want to make sure they're well educated. And sometimes I think that we uh, overcompensate by you know wanting to make sure we get in everything as, as best we can, which is valid. But at the same time, we um, we kind of forget or maybe are not aware of the importance of the the children's books and how in in uh, how much they have influenced the um, adult literature. Um, and we also forget that there's a lot of adult literature that has been embraced by children over the centuries that that they have claimed for their own, um, such <clears throat> excuse me, such as uh, like Huckleberry Finn, or um, you know, which was not exactly written for children, or Pilgrim's Progress was huge in children's lives back when it was published, but that's an adult book, and so we forget that you know. It, there's not always a strong distinction, and uh, it's okay to slow down and really uh, focus on the on the books that our children can relate to, and um, and let them um, dive into some of these because they have influenced Western literature so much, even though they uh, may be embraced by children or were written for children. So, 
Your book provides a really thorough list of, of great books for children. Could you tell us how you assemble the list? Uh, how did a book make it onto this list? Well, um, I I was really kind of in a journey of discovery. I was not trying to, um, you know, start from the premise of, hmm, I think this book is a great book, and I'm going to prove why. I did not do that. I tried to let history reveal to me what have been the most impactful, most influential uh, most important books of of Western literature uh, from ancient times. You know, what were the books that children embraced for um, in in ancient times, in uh, medieval times, uh, in you know, in the Great Depression? What were the books that have been most important? Which ones have uh, influenced the development of literary history and been the you know the the ones that have driven the the literary and the literature industry and the lives of children and so I let history reveal that to me and I tried to be as objective as I could this isn't a list of recommendations of, of for me this is um, this is a list of what history reveals itself to be in terms of what's important and I, I mean I had to make judgment calls at times just because um, that was just the nature of the project but I I did that as little as uh, possible I really wanted to let history show me. And you arrange it in a chronological order. It starts from ancient times and then it moves on to mm-hmm. Middle Ages and, and then into modern periods. Why did you do it that way? Uh, well, partly because I was interested in the history of children's literature. I wanted to know what ancient children um, enjoyed. You know, what they do for entertainment, for stories. Um, and I wanted to um, understand how literature developed. So when I when I began a project. I did not have uh, any idea it would ever become the book it is today. I was just going to, um, you know, kind of publish it as a as a self-published list on my website, and um, it was more of a curiosity, like, look, these are what history says are the most important books of Western civilization, the children's great books. But um, it was more, um, originally, it was more centered around my own interests, and that's why I did historically or chronologically, because that was what interested me. And, um, you know, really that uh, I wasn't interested in dividing it by genre or age group because to me, art is art. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a a children's book like uh, Peter Rabbit or Winnie the Pooh or whether it's Huckleberry Finn, you know, that's really challenging to read. Um, To me, you know, great literature is great literature. It it, it doesn't really matter and it's for everyone. Uh, I can enjoy Winnie the Pooh at my age just you know maybe in a different way from a from a 8 year old but i can still enjoy it and get something out of it it's still uh worth reading because of the depth in winnie the pooh um and so i didn't that you know i was just interested in the history of it um too do you recommend that children read the books in that chronological way or or is it better to just kind of read whatever you want to read of the great children's literature Oh, um, I think it's interesting and instructive to read it chronologically because um, we we see how um, ideas have built upon each other over time in, in the great conversation of the ages, which is an idea that fascinates me. Um, and we can see kind of where we've been as a people and how we've progressed in in our uh, um, literary um, imagination and in some of the ways we live and dress and and speak. But um, I don't think it needs to be used that way. Uh, that's the way I I would want to use it. But there's no harm in um, in just 
picking something that maybe relates to what where the child is in life, you know, um, their interests or where they are in their homeschool program or what they're studying in, in their traditional classroom. Um, you know, I, I really think it's up to the to the parent um, to help their children find a book that's right for them. And not all these books will be right for every child. In fact, some of them can be very um, uh, controversial or very much um, opposed in opposition to uh, a family's value. So these, again, these are not recommendations. This is uh, more what history shows us. And parents need to make the final call what's right for their children. And you do have a, a little notice on some of the books where you, you say parents cautioned. Uh, what does that mm-hmm. label signal to the parents? Um, that's a really important label that I hope parents are attentive to because, uh, you know, any piece of literature can be it can offend somebody. I mean, I had a student once whose mother did not want her to read fairy tales, and most of us grew up in fairy tales. We don't give it a second thought. But this one found offense in fairy tales. So, you know, anybody can uh, can find a, um, can be offended by a book that another family is not. But there are some books that are um, broadly offensive or troubling to families. And so these I uh, felt were important to, to label um, because they they might have uh, more violence than normal or maybe more uh, romantic con- uh, uh, content or swearing or um, some, you know, things like that that might be uh, more broadly offensive. And I felt it was important to alert parents to those. How do great children's books work to impart lessons on virtue? I, I'm thinking of, in our family, we, we just love Charlotte's Web, and, and mm-hmm. we love how that, that's, it's such an engaging story, and it, and it teaches so much about true friendship and, and self, self-sacrifice, or even just the passage of time. And, right. and they're not lessons that, that are taught through moralizing it, it's just kind of imparted through the gift of the story itself. I think that the one reason why art... Uh, becomes great. Like some some art artistic works of whatever type, you know, whether it's drama or paintings or whatever. One reason that they they live on uh, over time is those those important universal themes that that are meaningful to hum, to human beings and that we want to maybe pass down to our our own children. Um, and so uh in literature you know a lot of the reason these books are great as i call them the great books is because of the meaning that people uh have found in them uh, children and adults over time uh you know that the simple gentle wisdom in winnie the pooh uh has appealed to both adults and children for uh for decades and decades and um there is a reason that it is living on today um, and so when we when we expose our children to stories like Charlotte's Web or or, or Winnie the Pooh or um, Huckleberry Finn or well that's a more adult one but um, you know Peter Rabbit with his simple theme of um, about obedience um, we we give them a way to process and examine um, big ideas like that in a way that they can handle and that we can we can meet them on their level and reach out to them regarding uh important ideas in life and morals and values and virtues and that's what some of these great great books do um and that's one reason why they are great um it's special privilege to us parents that we can use them to help pass on those values 
What is your opinion of abridged or adapted classics? Um, is it better to mm. read the original, or, or is there some merit to reading an, an adapted version? Mm-hmm. I I used to scorn adapt, adapt adaptations. Um, I used to really. Uh, be very much against them and there are some really bad adaptations and maybe that's kind of where I got that that <laughs> feeling um but there are some pretty good ones and um I once um I once heard the argument that the the value of adaptations is that the for the for the great stories that that may be more adult in nature that you know a child wouldn't be ready for uh, in translation for example like like Homer's Odyssey um when we expose them to the stories in a simplified version when they're younger, um, in a in a good adaptation, uh, for example, the children's Homer or Mary Pope Osborne's Tales from the Odyssey, uh, if you wanted to expose them to Homer's Odyssey when they're young, the the benefit of that is that um, they they can enjoy those wonderful stories when they're younger, and and get used to the characters and and the the basic uh, storyline, and then um, not only is it just good stories uh, that they can enjoy. But it also can lay um, a good solid foundation for studying the the originals uh, when they're older, and it can make that a little bit easier because sometimes it's it's difficult to uh, approach some of these classics um, like like Homer's Odyssey and translation. It's, it can be d- difficult even for adults. But when we kind of know the story, then it's like returning to an old friend, and we just kind of have to comb through the language a little bit. But at least we understand what's happening uh, better. So there's a value in adaptations to me. And we have about 30 seconds left. Uh, how can people get your book? Um, well, I believe it's on uh, Ignatius Press's website as well as Amazon and probably BarnesandNoble.com. I, I, I don't remember for sure. Um, it may be in bookstores. Um, I haven't actually gone to look for my own <laughs> book, but <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty sure about all the others. Well, our guest today has been Sherry Blumquist, author of Before Austin Comes Aesop. The Children's Great Books and How to Experience Them. Sherry, thanks again so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Mm, thank you for having me. It's been an honor. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. You're probably not getting much church news in your daily newspaper or on your local TV station. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. There are so many ways to stay in touch with the Catholic Review. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Catholic Review Media will inspire, teach, inform, and engage you wherever your faith takes you. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.